right. Hey, everyone. I would like to welcome you to the second episode of Today in Grief with Care Monique. For those of you who are brand new here, I hope you've gone back and watched or listened to the first episode so that you could learn a little bit about me. For those of you who have listened to that and you are back for a second episode, I have a super special treat for you all today. The Today in Grief podcast with Care Monique really focuses on conversations around grief and healing, really talking about and discussing the everyday woes, the everyday things that happen to us as grievers. Grief is a part of our everyday lives. It shows up when it wants to, how it wants to, all of those things. And I was led to create this space for that to live, for that to be super normal, and for conversations around grief to happen. So in today's episode, I I am stoked to be bringing on a very special guest. Today's episode is titled, Today in Grief, We Watched Our Mom Die. And this episode might be a little triggering for me. I have no clue how this is going to go, but I am bringing on my very own brother, Yes, my brother who I share a mom and a dad with. Um, So we grew up in the same house. We shared a lot of the same upbringing and all of that. And we also shared this very intimate moment as well in being there to watch our mother take her last breath. So I am going to go ahead and let my brother introduce himself and share a little bit about himself. And then we're going to share with you our journey and have a conversation around what it was like for us the day that we let our mom go home to be with the Lord. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my brother, Edward. Hello, everyone. My name is Edward McLean. Um, I am Cher's oldest brother. He's my only brother, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. And um. I will say that I am currently a school teacher and also a recent uh, coming up on two years of marriage. Uh, I am turning into a pet father and I am really working with that at the moment. And I really have a, I guess, a passion for making sure people understand whatever the information is that they're supposed to be receiving, which is what kind of led me into teaching. And fun fact, you all, our mother was also a teacher. Um, She was a teacher for 38 years. She literally taught up until the day she went into the hospital. She went to the hospital on a Saturday. She taught that Friday before. Um, And although I am not in the traditional classroom anymore, my degrees are also in education, just like my mom and my brother. So they were in early childhood and K through 12. And I am on the higher ed sector of all of the education. And even though I'm an entrepreneur now, now, but that was in my professional life. So just a a funny little plug that our entire family actually kind of falls into education in some ways. So I don't know how that happens, but um, my bad, bro. um, (laughs) she She actually was my Head Start teacher and while I taught Head Start, they actually made me and my mother be partners for a small period of time. I didn't know that. That's news to me. Was it because mom was a trainer too, a teaching trainer? Well, I was a floater. Oh. And by being a floater, one of the days her partner was absent, 
they sent me over there to her. Wow. That had to be something because mom was special. And you all, we're 10 years apart, me and my brother. So he was basically like, by the time I kind of started developing mentally and all that, my brother was grown. Like by the time I hit 10, he was 20. Um, so even though we grew up together and all of that, we, we are a decade apart. So our, our lived experiences um, are quite different. So that's super interesting. Um, anything else you want to share before we kind of jump into this conversation um, around mom? No, that's, uh, that's pretty much hitting it right there. We can get, get into it. All right. Um, so one of the first things that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this episode and really kind of where we are is how we're able to talk about it. So I, I actually just kind of wanted to start there. Before we jump into the day, remembering the day mom died, um, how have you been processing and really, like it's been almost two years now, it'll be two years in June that mom has been gone. How have you been processing? And like, we're sitting up here having this conversation for the world to listen to. How does that feel for you? Well, for me, I mean, I've processed it probably a little different than most people think I should have. Cause most people are probably have, I've gotten a lot of why am I not mad? Why am I not angry? And how am I just go keep going with life? as it's going and part of that is because I know for a fact if she was still here and I had stopped she'd have got me so I don't want her to get me from up there either so that's the part of the reason that keeps going but at the same time a lot of what I do is a direct reflection of her so just keep doing it and don't let it stop and it'll keep working that way and that's part of the reason with the whole teaching that I've kept going with this from her doing it, her instilling it in me, me being around it pretty much all my life. Like I said, she was my she was my head start teacher at three and four years old. So from there on, this has kind of been the direction on that end. And then she was she kept me going. So I gotta keep going for her, even though she's not here. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I get a lot of the same reactions from folks. Um, I remember specifically one of my friends, it was like the week right after mom had passed, she had come vi to visit me and she got angry with me. And, and she was just like, I'm just kind of upset with you because you aren't upset. And I was like, I am upset, but not in the way that you think, like, because I wasn't falling all over the floor, all of that. Also, soon as someone dies, especially like our mother, like we were her heirs. We were the next of kin. We had to plan her end of life celebration, all of that. Like, so not only was my mind going into the business of it, but I knew we, we grew up as Christians. We've been taught my mom knew she was going to heaven. So I also found a little bit of peace in like, there's something about watching somebody get as sick as we watched our mom get too. like, she got extremely sick. So anger was not my first reaction when she died because I literally watched her body turn on her so when my friend said that and she you know she was just being honest and we have that kind of relationship but that was kind of like a awakening of like people do expect you to act a certain way and also you have rights to that right I could have been angry that's totally okay but that just wasn't where I started and I did get a lot of that because I did find a lot of peace 
and mom passing and all of that. But I think part of that was I did grieve a little bit before she actually died because we we were told before she died, like, y'all, we don't think she's going to make it to discharge. That's what they told us. But anyway, um, let's jump into that, though. Um, I, I truly remember. So I remember it was a Thursday. It was Thursday, June the 24th. And I remember one of mom's mom's really close friends and actually my brother's best friend. Her name is Minnie. Minnie and her husband were coming over to my mom's apartment because we were giving their daughter because um, my mom was going to move in with me. This was the plan. If she left the hospital, she was moving in with me. So we were getting rid of some of her furniture and things like that. So I was making a decision because mom was on life support at the time. I was like, well, we're going to give some of the, the good pieces, the valuable stuff to people she loves. I wasn't going to just throw it away. So we were giving, um, I believe it was a table and one of the, in a bed to her goddaughter, who is Minnie's daughter. So my mom's goddaughter, um, because she was moving to DC she was starting her career. She had just graduated from college or was about to graduate from college. And I remember Minnie had pulled up to the house. They had a truck and everything. They were ready to grab the stuff we were giving them. And I was on the phone with the doctor at the time. The doctor had called, the doctor had called me back because I had called the doctor earlier that day. And I was like, you know, mom's still on 24 hour dialysis. Mom is on um, a tube, like, you all are not giving me a better report. What is happening? So she had called me back from a call earlier that day. And that was when she told me, she's like, you know, your mom's not going to make it to discharge. Your, your mom is, is going to, they used the word expire at that time. She was like, your mom is going to expire here. And Minnie was knocking on the door. And I remember dropping the phone and answering the door. And Minnie, I believe she picked the phone up, if I'm not mistaken, and I told her, I, she either picked the phone up or I told her to hang the phone up something. And she said, who was that? And I told her, I just broke down crying. And I said, my mom's going to die. My mom's going to die. And then I remember Minnie's husband, Michael, walked in and Minnie said, call Raphael. That's what we call my brother, Edward. We call him Raphael. She said, call Raphael. And I don't know, you can take it from there. Do you remember that call from Michael Raphael? Do you remember when Michael called and told you to let your wife drive or something. I, I just remember like they just kind of took over for me because I just could not talk. Um, I don't I'm know. What, I do kind of remember them calling. I don't remember if it was him by himself or they both kind of was in the phone. But I think that I think more of it was they kind of more spoke to my wife first. Mm -hmm. And I was still getting used to saying wife because we had only been married since that Monday. Yeah, five days. So, so I was still trying to uh, grasp hand of that. So it kind of all just yeah. was a, that whole week is really a blur yeah. to me in a sense, considering the high, high and low of that week. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Few of them got married Monday. Mom died on Friday. Their wedding reception was Saturday. So we talk about a whirlwind of emotions. We'll do another episode on that. But um, so anyway, they, Minnie and Michael, I'm just, I'm so grateful they were there, to be honest, because I don't know if I could have called my brother. So anyway, I remember Michael or Minnie, they called and they got Refia and um, Dolores to come to mom's apartment. And me and Refia had, we sat and we had a conversation. And I remember telling you, like, we got to make a decision 
um, mommy's not going to make it. The breathing tube is the only thing keeping her alive. And I remember telling Refia, and it was just really hard because the way the doctor described it to me, she said, I told her, I said, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I want you to tell me how does my mom feel? And I remember the doctor told me, she said, imagine being hit by a semi-truck while you're looking at it, being alive. You can literally feel it. You see it coming. She said, that's how much pain your mom is in. Mom has swollen um, the equivalent. They said she was carrying almost 40 pounds of, of um, fluid around her, her lungs and they just could not drain this fluid. So her body was heavy. Her organs were shutting down. The only thing she really had left was her brain, which is great that she still had her brain, but she was unconscious. So I remember sitting in mom's living room talking to Raphael about that. So we're sitting there and, um, we had to make a decision sitting in mom's living room around what it was we were going to do. And then Raphael, I believe, didn't you call pastor Smith? And he uh, came uh, I called Pastor Smith. He came and prayed. And then we went from there with it. Because mm -hmm. that was like, that's all we could do at that point was call the pastor and pray. Yeah. And then we called her. We called my pastor as well. Because I live in another city. Um, and then we called her sisters. I do remember that. And we had to start calling the family because we had then decided that we were going to take her off the next day, that Friday, and we were just going to let her, you know, live as long as she would live on her own. So we went to the hospital. We went back to the hospital. Me and Refia went back Thursday night. They let us come back up um, to the hospital because we were going to take her off. So um, I remember staying. I think I stayed at the hospital till maybe like 1 a.m. or something. I think, Refia, you left a little before me, but we stayed there and we kind of talked to her. They had a chaplain come by. And then that next day on Friday, the family was in and out the whole entire day, in and out, in and out. And I remember I stayed in the room the whole day and I'll let Rafia talk about his feelings a little bit first. And then I'll share kind of what was going through my mind. But we were at the hospital that whole day. Like I got there at like, I went back at like 8 a.m. as soon as they opened. And then Rafia, I think you came maybe right behind me, like 8.30, 9 o'clock. And, um, cause then you come early in the morning or did you come? Late morning. I can't remember, but you... It was late morning that I came. Yeah, and you... I remember Dolores came upstairs before you did. I remember you were downstairs for a while. You didn't even come upstairs. So do you want to share kind of from what you remember, what it was like coming that day, knowing that we were taking mom off that particular day? Well, I mean, for me, the feeling probably was more of... Okay, what is next? What do we do? I mean, yes, I'm trying to keep the last good memory going that I had of her. I'm trying to make sure that everything is in order in my head for what we need to do. Because anybody that has seen me grieve over anyone that has passed, I tend not to cry that much or uh, show much emotion. People tell me I don't show too much emotion anyway so when it came to my mom it almost felt people thought i was about to shut completely down like i was just gonna be there like a shell just sitting there which to some degree i think i did wind up becoming a shell that was just sitting there like okay y'all handle it you got it you got it but and then it was like okay what do i keep doing so that yes she's gone 
but who do I do I make sure she has um everybody that she knows has has knows what's going on and that they are going to be able to come so that's when I start thinking of who else do I need to call or who else do I need to tell that is part of the reason I think I called um Devar our cousin that's a preacher I called him I even had to call Mr. Pratt and tell him and that conversation probably was the one that got me the most out of talking to anyone because when I said it to him that was probably one of the first times I didn't heard a whole grown man's voice change in mid-conversation and speaking with them and then having to call them back later on that same day and say, it, it happened, it's over. And he in that, that one, I would say, and then also, um, actually, I would say my emotions probably ran a lot as well when some of the nieces and the young nieces Cause still to this day, I have some sending me messages. I have one send me a drawing they made at school, and it's just like, okay, yeah. it didn't just hit me and care. This has hit multiple people. Like I literally in the last month has just had to tell somebody she was gone because they literally said, "How's your mom and your sister?" And I paused like. What you mean? How you not know already? It's going on two years. What you mean? And when I said it, she just looked at me like she wanted to break down because she just not finding out two years later. But I would say my emotions probably has been up and down since then that day. Uh, I have actually, I can honestly say, I have made the mistake of driving in the direction of where mom has lived before and just hopping on the freeway. Then I had to remember that is not the way home. I have um, had to uh, a couple of times. I actually drove past where mom lived, and I was like, oh. At first, it didn't even dawn on me where I was at. But then once I saw the driveway, I was like, okay. And they were kind of like, you all right? Like, people knew where we were driving, but they were hoping I would not think of it as I drove past. But, of course, I'm going to remember. And then I would say probably that day, even till now, I would probably say, it's like, yeah, she's gone, but I make sure everything I do, I act as if she's still right there or right here. Mm -hmm. And kind of funny because I almost did it today and forgot. I was about to go and get some red vines and uh she loved her red vines and some raw peanuts and uh had me a snack, but I settled for some uh good and plenty. And <laughs> that's kind of I and everybody that see me eating that or every time I might bring that up, they're like I'm like, that's mama. I'm like, if you see me with red vines and raw peanuts, no, that's mama. And then I've also um I guess my way of dealing with it, I've gained a couple more pieces of art on my body <laughs> because of mom's death. And I kind of actually have one in color. And I was like, so every time I look down at my arm or when I'm teaching kids, even kids to this day, they'll be like, what's that on your arm? And then when I explain it's a tribute to my mom, even the kids who've never met her, because they see that, they go, 
oh, I'm sorry for your loss or things of that nature. Even the kids are like, oh. And they even like, they like take a breath when they see it. And I'm like, okay. And then I've also, um, like I say, I just make sure I keep up with some of the family members that she kind of stuck close to, making sure that, that some of the things that she used to do with them, I might not directly do them, but I'll kind of keep it going somewhat in talking to them or interacting with them and things of that nature. So that's kind of where it's been going with me. Yeah. And that it's funny because we're, we're actually recording this on mother's day um, right now. So this is, I don't know, an interesting day to even be recording this and even kind of thinking back to this and back to some of the things that he shared, like Mr. Pratt, uh, I love Mr. Pratt. Mr. Pratt was one of mom's, like, I believe mom was his first partner when he came into education. I think he might've been 21 years old or something. And he told a beautiful story at mom's funeral about how she took him under her, his wing, under her wing. He was just, you know, just a knucklehead young, young boy in a sense, um, trying to get his career going. And mom never left his side, like basically the whole time throughout his educational career, and those conversations were really hard. I do remember that day. I remember calling my godmom. My godmom, Barbara, was my mom's best friend for, shoot, longer than I've been alive. Like, how long were mom and Barbara friends, Refia? Uh, I was a kid, so it had to be a very long, because they actually graduated. Uh, they went to high school they, together. They did. No, they're, they're, I remember their college degrees getting got together, because they got the, I remember them getting a the limo. Somebody, yeah, yeah, I got that graduated. picture. Yeah, we, we graduated. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I remember that for the longest. And then, like I say, you being Barbara's goddaughter, then me and her having kids close to my age mm -hmm. and your age, too. It just kind of like me being the oldest of the bunch. And then it just kind of trickled down through all of that. With yeah, all but, the kids. but I know they went to high school together. And I believe mom is a mom was a couple years older than Barbara. But they met in high school, and actually, Barbara is how my mom met our dad, all that good stuff. Anyway, calling Barbara was really hard because Barbara knew my mom since she was a teenager. Um, so they came to the hospital. Um, Auntie Lily, who's my mom, was my mom's other best friend, came to the hospital. I remember all of my mom's nieces. My mom, she was so close to her nieces. They would call her Auntie Mama. One in particular, Quita. My, you couldn't tell Quita that my mama was not her second mama. You, Quita, argue you down to this day that my mama was not her second mama. And I remember all of them coming to the hospital. And um, I re the one thing I really remember, I asked my husband to stop at the beauty supply because mom had lost a lot of hair and stuff. And I was like, can you get my mom a turban or something? People coming up here. Uh, she would be mad at us if we let people come in here without some on her head. And I remember he bought her this gold um, turban and we put that turban on her head and people were coming to visit. And the hospital chaplains had made her this blanket. This Her favorite color was green. They had made her this green blanket that we laid over her. And just all day, it was just such an emotional day. And I remember that like I could not cry. And I remember you were upstairs. You came upstairs for a little bit and then you left. And then I remember you sitting in the hallway for a while and then people were just in and out that whole day. And we, 
When I tell you we got on the hospital's nerve, I know that. Um, and we had to advocate. Uh, so there was this one nurse who was amazing. I can't remember her name, but I remember her telling one of the other nurses because the nurse had came in and was like, you can only have three people in the room at a time or whatever. And I was like, I can't control who coming in here right now. Also, we're taking our mom off of life support at six o'clock tonight. I said, she got a lot of people that's going to be trying to come see her. And I remember there was another nurse. I heard her go over and she said, these people are about to lose their mother. Do you want to be the person that's going to interrupt their peace today? And I just, I remember her saying that and they didn't bother us anymore the rest of that day, but that was like late afternoon. And the lady, like, I guess she was trying to keep some order or whatever, but it was just, and it wasn't like chaos or anything, but my mom had people coming in and out literally the whole day. And then I remember her goddaughter, Atea. So me, you, and our husband and wife were in the room when we took her off. Everybody else was still was out in the hallway. The people that still were there. And then I remember her niece and nephew, Joni and Dee, came back after she passed. They went home and then they came back up to the hospital after we sent the message to the family that she passed. But I remember when we took her off, the nurse was so kind. I didn't even think about this. Do you remember when the nurse was like, do you want us to turn the, the monitor sound off? Because you know how the flat line sound happens. And they were like, you'll still be able to see it, but you won't hear it. And they turned it off for us. And mom gave us 36 minutes after we took her off. She did not last a very long time. And I remember Atea, her goddaughter, she came back into the room and she sang her a song. Um, after and I just remember we were quiet because they let you stay we stayed with her for what two hours I think they let you stay after after the body goes cold or whatever you can stay for two hours we stayed the whole two hours and we just sat there in silence and I remember you cried but I just couldn't I couldn't cry yet and I don't know do you remember that feeling do you remember I mean, I probably broke down because it was like, okay, my, uh, I was like, what do I do next? Yeah. What do I do now? Um, yeah. The kind of joke that I keep laughing every time I think of it is they used to call me Little Brenda, <laughs> and now, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a boy. And because uh, literally, when you saw her, you saw me, and we ended up basically in the same profession. And then, like I said, at one point, we had the same employer. So, therefore, they they just knew. Yeah. And I would say probably I just sat there like, wait a minute. Did we really just do this? But I'm like, she's not in pain anymore. Mm -hmm. I was like, the pain is gone. Because, like, there are times from before she actually left that she would, um, her mobility was gone. Yeah. It was gone. Because there were numerous days where Kara was at home when she stayed, and mom would call me and say, I'm on the floor. And it kept coming to me like, how long you been on the floor? And it would be me having to hop in my vehicle and drive all the way to mom's house and help her get up. And a couple of those times, 
unfortunately, I wasn't the one that was able to help her get up. We actually had to call the EMS or the fire department to come help us get mom up. And I kept going. She would just, she was refusing to let go or let someone really help her in her, uh, her ailment. And then I also remember there was one instance where I was like, something is seriously wrong and we've got to get something going in dealing with her was, um, one of the days I was over there when it was, um, because it was COVID happening, we both had to teach from home and she went to teach, but she had already fell on the floor in the kitchen and she wanted to still teach. And I kept going, either I can do it or we can call these parents and tell them we got to hold off. Not today. She kept going. I'm having my class. So we, she literally made me bring her her computer. And she sat on the floor with her back to the cabinet with her computer in the chair and taught her class for that hour. Mm. And then once it was over, then we went through the process of eventually helping her get up. And you know what's so crazy? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. All of those uh, instances of her having those falls all kept coming that day that we took her off. I'm like, we ain't got to worry about her falling no more. Because there was, there's been, there was an outside fall with me. There was one in the house. There was one where she called and said she'd been on the floor and she had been on there so long. I'm like, how long you been on the floor? And she had crawled. When I got there, because I have a key, I opened the door. She didn't crawl to the couch. But she still hadn't got up. She had been on the floor probably at least since like 8 or 9 o'clock. There was a time she called. She had went to the bathroom, but she was stuck in the bathroom because she was scared to get to come out of the bathroom because she didn't want to fall again. So it was like, okay, she does not have to have this fear of falling. And I will admit, since my mobility has um, become somewhat questionable here and there, that that fear of falling has really become a uh, a new thing with me. Like, I brace myself with everything that I do and try to... If it's something to hold on to in the motion of moving, I'm holding on to it. There's no... I'm, I got... Nope. They got a rail. I'm holding it. Because I've watched all the falling I'm going to watch happen with her. And this is all within, uh, like, a three-month span. And see, I didn't know anything about these falls. And that's why I got angry about that part because nobody was telling me mom was falling. Mom didn't even know that she was quote unquote sick. Right. I got all those medical records and stuff. That's the other thing. When, when she died, I got everything. And I'm like, mom went to a kidney doctor in January. The kidney doctor told her you good. What the creatine, her creatine levels were fine. Mom went back to the, she went back to her regular doctor in March. The, the, her regular doctor referred her back to the kidney doctor. She went to the kidney doctor 10 on April, like 20th or something. Mom went into the hospital April 30th, 10 days later. The kidney doctor told her her creatine levels were fine. She was, she was fine. 10 days later, apparent mom had been falling. Apparently I didn't find out she was doing all this falling so I got down there on April 30th, I was taking her to the doctor for a mammogram appointment 
and she fell. And I was like, Man, lady, you just fell on the ground. Like literally she was just walking. She didn't trip. I watched her literally collapse into the street. Couldn't get her up. So I called the ambulance and I said, she can't move her legs. She has to go in. Something is not right. So they get there and they tell mom, like, they tell us she has to go on dialysis right now. And they're like, she has stage five kidney failure. I'm like, what? How does she have that? I said, she went to the doctor 10 days ago. They told her she was fine. They told her she failed because her potassium had peaked. So that's a whole nother story, y'all. I'm not going to get too deep into that. But I didn't even know about these multiple falls until after mom had got really, really sick. So she wasn't even telling me that she was falling and she didn't have to, right? I wasn't there. So anyway, she was getting quote unquote checked out in a sense for these falls, but they kept telling her nothing. They ran some more tests and that's when they came back and was like, yep, she needs to go on dialysis. None of her records before that showed that. So something had to make her really sick in between those 10 days from when she went to the kidney doctor and when she fell and I was actually there. And I don't think they would have kept her if I wouldn't have been there. I don't, I think, I think mom's situation would have kind of kept going had I not been there. Cause I said, no, she's not going home. I said, she was just in your hospital. Like, oh, that was the other thing. That's why I came down. Now I remember I came down because she had went to the hospital like three days before you had, you were with her. She had failed that day. And that's when I found out she had been falling and they sent her home. And I said, she said, well, I got to go to the doctor on Saturday. I said, okay, well, I'll be down there to take you to the doctor then. And I remember that because I said, well, she was just in this hospital three days ago. My brother was here. Y'all sent her back home. Something's not right. And of course, that's when everything comes to lighter. Um, but anyway, that's not what this episode is about because y'all don't want me to go down the rabbit hole of her medical records and everything I saw on how all her medical records basically look flawless but she didn't fail 19 times how well how is it not recorded that she been falling uh but anyway the day she died because that's where we're at the day she actually died um and taking her off um her only giving us 36 minutes i remember that being kind of the thing that gave me comfort it was like she was tired she didn't give us any more time. Like, I feel like if she had a ton more time in her um, or something, maybe I would have felt a little bit worse about taking her off. But our, de our decision kind of felt right, in my opinion, from the fact that she only had 36 minutes left. Yeah, we had to make the decision. I mean, it was just a matter of when. Because I remember you wanted her to stay on over the weekend, possibly um, just because, one, it was so fresh. But then also you were having your wedding reception and I couldn't get over how much pain she was in. And then we, we finally agreed to like Friday. Yeah. And, yeah. And that was. I was just like, at this point, let it ride itself out. Yeah. And I was like, OK, we know she's going. So just let it ride itself out till it can't go no more. Yeah. And you all, it was like, okay, but at the same time, why keep her in that pain for those days until it ride out? And we know it's not going to get any better. So it was just like, okay, let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a pretty, it was a pretty tough decision to make um, in a sense. Right. Um, I think tough because 
it's a decision that has to be made and decision making can be difficult when it's the life of someone else. But then on the other side of it, um, you said, like, I was like, she's not going to get better. Like, what are we holding on to? Right. This idea of her getting better, this idea of keeping her here, but knowing she's in pain, it just felt cruel to me. Right. Watching her. I mean, I literally watched her swell up like her legs had turned purple from the fluid like because she didn't have any um, her her organs weren't functioning. So the blood wasn't circulating to the lower parts of her body and stuff. So like everything in her, she was swelling up so bad and 24 hour dialysis. I had never even heard of that until they put mom on it. And I was like, somebody could be on dialysis for 24 hours like that has to be exhausting. Um, yeah. And, and that, that just made the decision a little bit easier for me of just seeing the decline of what was going on. And um, mom didn't actually die, you all, from the kidney infection. Um, she died from sepsis of the blood. She died because she got an infection in the catheter that they put in. And that infection got into her blood and her, her organs couldn't fight that off. So it's a whole mess, um, in my opinion, some neglect from care from the medical staff of looking at her records and nothing was showing that she had come in for all these falls. They were they almost looked like checkups um, all the way down to this infection and this catheter that gave her sepsis of the blood. And then you all are putting her on 24-hour dialysis knowing she has this infection in her blood. Like, just a lot of stuff didn't really sit right, right? So she she just really wasn't going to get better. There was no way that was going to happen. Um, but then the aftermath of that, right? What would you say around kind of the advocacy that had to happen um, for mom upon death and all of that? Like, what we, I know you, you put a lot of decision-making on me. I do remember that of, like, you were just kind of like, like you, like you mentioned, kind of in your shell of like, what can we do? I mean, yeah, it was almost like, what can we do? I know you're going to handle it. I know you're going to be the, uh, the one to make sure they don't get over or make sure it goes straight to the point. You ain't going to let nothing squeeze through. And then for me, it was more of, I think, um, before she, um, left when we switched her, hospital yeah. and I had to go back to the old one and retrieve the paperwork from the old one I kind of just looked at them like and then remember that I myself had to spend some time in that hospital I was like I don't like y'all no more you didn't do me well and we had to switch my mama from you to someone else so we y'all might have been the problem, but I digress and me and mama gonna go on over here and we gonna do what we gotta do and keep things going and because mama was one who did not like confusion. Oh yeah. And she couldn't if you was about to create confusion, she checks out, she leaves. Mm -hmm. She gone. And I kinda got that in me too like if some you look up something about to happen people say i'm notorious for disappearing like you'll look up and everybody talking about goodbye hi how you doing and i'm gone because i'm gonna say by the one or two people rest of y'all 
catch y'all next time. And I think that was part of it too. Is like, how do I keep down the chaos in all of this that could occur, the or that I could help create? It would be better if we just let it all organically happen and happen through maybe one source instead of two of us coming at everybody with everything. And since yours most of the time was a little more thought thought out than mine probably would have been anyway, that's kind of why I was like, okay, we're going to roll with that one. That would make a lot more sense than what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And there we go. Yeah, I did. I had to use a lot of logic, right? I could, and as emotional as I wanted to be, I do distinctly remember that when it came time to advocate for mom in those spaces, I had to use logic 100% of the time. Um, like, it just, there was, I had so many emotions that if I would have let my emotions out, y'all, it would not have been good. It would not, I mean, from the doctors, mom had a team of doctors coming in every single morning. Every single morning at 8.30, they did their rounds. And I think there were at least, at least six doctors. There was a heart doctor, so the, like a cardiologist. Um, there was the lung ki- lung and kidney doctor. Um, they had the uh, the blood doctor, the, the infectious disease doctor. I want, and it was like two or three more doctors. I mean, they all came in and were giving these reports and I would be there. Cause actually I had came down. I had just decided to stay down there. Once she went on, um, life support, I just stayed, um, over in Detroit and I was at the hospital every day. And I was just like, I have to make a logical decision for my mom every single day. I cannot let emotion get in the way. Um, and that was hard because I was watching her one day she would be, they would be saying that they're getting fluid off. She's maintaining. And then the next day they'd be saying she's drowning. Her organs are literally drowning. Like when she died, she had 40 pounds of fluid, just pure fluid. And so that I do remember, like you said, like just having to make logical decisions because anything else was overwhelming. It was like, okay, keep her on the keep her on dialysis today. And I could only really make one decision at a time each day. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even taking care of myself at that time. Like getting lunch was overwhelming for me. I remember my husband would say, you want some food? No, I can't even think about what I want because I had made a decision that day related to my mom. And that's all I could do. I remember trying to do work on my computer. I would sit at the hospital and try to do work while I was there. And I couldn't even really respond to emails. Like I just couldn't make too many decisions um, during that time. So I did feel a lot of pressure, um, but also I'm a doer. So I think that I operated in my strength kind of during that time. That's what I do. I'm the person that, you know what? It got to be done. I'm going to get it done. It got to be said. I'm going to say it. Like, so I definitely feel like I operated um, in that capacity around the time mom died. Um, So last thing I kind of want to jump into, because I feel like we've kind of been all over the place a little bit with this. Um, But one of the last things I want to kind of jump into... Um, before we end this, it's just kind of this thought around what would you tell other folks who are maybe in a similar position of something was wrong. You never really, you weren't quite sure what was wrong. You were asking doctors, doctors weren't giving you straight answers. And then all of a sudden your loved one is hit with a whammy of like, they are terminally ill and they're not going to make it. Like, what kind of advice do you give folks 
who might be in a sim situation similar to ours where the signs were there, but nobody was giving us answers? I would say my biggest piece would be to think of how you and that individual interacts and what their thought would be if you and them both had to kind of go through that together. And I know for me with ours, my mom, like she was one of the ones that was like, okay, keep the chaos down. Let's relax. Let's figure this out. Let's get this answered. Let's get it done. And I know for me, it was like, okay, just relax and think. Like I actually had a thought of for a while, I used to always say, relax. And it wasn't a matter of your body physically relaxing. It was more of a mental relaxation so that you're able to grasp hold of what is actually happening and what options do you have to continue on in a productive way. And in thinking of that with mom, when it came to that day, it became more of what would she want? And no, she would not want to physically be gone and gone, but it was, she wouldn't want to be in pain and she wouldn't want us to consistently worry forever. So because she wouldn't want us to consistently worry forever, do things in a way where she'll be proud and smiling down on everything that we do from here on out. So just keep making sure that you do this in remembrance of her not doing it in spite of her. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, I thank you for sharing some time um, with me to talk about this and to really kind of share our experience around mom and the day she died. And I mean, even a little more, we went on tangents. We talked about some other stuff. Who knows how I'll edit this episode. We might have to cut some stuff out of here. Um, who knows what'll happen. But um, this was definitely, I think, a needed conversation for not only for us to process, right? Because we talk about things, but we I don't think we've ever really talked about, you know, the day mom died. Just in, in like blanket, like, hey, do you remember the day mom died? Like, do you remember how we felt? That kind of thing. Um, So this was definitely an important conversation to have. And for those of you listening, I really hope um, our story is not only, you know, one that resonates for those who might be in a similar situation or something like that, where it is that you have to, make a hard decision for your loved one, or you have to watch a loved one die. Like watch them pass on. Um, it's not an easy feat. It's not easy to make decisions in that situation. So I do want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with a quote that says, if you don't feel your best today, allow yourself that space. This is hard. You don't have to process this all at once. Remember it. So I want you all to take that quote with you. Grief is lifelong. You are going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Sometimes it is going to be exhausting. Sometimes it is going to wear you to the ground. If you can, take a nap. 
um, but get back up. It does not last forever. And I only say it because I know it. I only say it because I believe it. And for those of you who are experiencing any kind of grief in any way, um, I encourage you to seek resources, seek help. You can literally Google, how do I handle grief? You can look up tons of resources. You can also visit to, uh, todayandgriefpodcast.com or caremonique.com and you can find resources around grief. I also have a grief journal that is out, which is called Here's Why I Grieve that you can uh, purchase if you need a place to put your grief down. There are so many resources available to you. I encourage you to have your today and grief moments, whatever those look like. It is healthy. It is productive. It is valuable to your journey. You will heal at your own pace. So I want to give an extra special shout out to my brother, Edward slash Raphael. That's what I call him. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Today in Grief podcast. This was truly um, a pleasure. And I feel I counted a blessing to be able to share our story with other folks. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you all will tune in for next week's episode. Remember, we drop an episode every single Friday. When I say we, it's me, but I have guests and things. Every single Friday, an episode will be dropped. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Today in Grief Podcast. You can shoot me an email um, at Today in Grief Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to follow us, subscribe, like, and leave a comment on Spotify for podcasters. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on the Facebook page, everywhere you can leave a review. Leave a review. I appreciate it. I am grateful for you all, and I pray that your grief process is yours and yours alone. Toodles until next time.